Hello, everyone. Welcome to season two of the Healing the Nations podcast, our podcast on religious liberty. And we have a return guest. We have Pastor Kayla Thompson. Pastor Thompson, thank you for returning back to our podcast series. Thank you, Peter, for having me again. Appreciate it. Oh, the privilege is ours. So what have you been doing lately with you and your ministry? Well, we've been traveling and speaking um, in different locations as a family. Uh, also, we're running our schools, our Healing Rain schools as well. What does Healing Rain do? Uh, Healing Rain is a school that we do. Um, we have one in Hawaii and one in Australia where we teach on different principles, but we seek to restore the image of God in man, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So that is what our school focuses on. And what are the type of people that attend these uh, meetings here at Healing Rain? Uh, we accept anyone who's hurting, who's broken, who deals with shame, guilt, bitterness, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, and also who has maybe been physically abused with domestic violence or emotionally and psychologically abused or mentally abused or even who's been um, sexually abused and even spiritually abused as well. So what is spiritual abuse? Well, spiritual abuse is the more of a modern terminology used today that is connected to the same thing as what we called religious persecution. So religious persecution, that is people who are persecuted or another word for persecution or abused in the name of religion in order to control you. That's what they, they abuse you or persecuted you in order to control you through the means of religion. And spiritual abuse is the same thing because it's just a way for someone to abuse you in the name of spirituality or religion in order to control you to get you to do what they want you to do. So what is the motive behind spiritual abuse or religious persecution? Why do people do these things? There's a quotation from Desire of Ages, page 35. Um, it's a quotation I really enjoyed. It says this. It says, The principle that man can save himself by his own works lay at the foundation of every heathen religion. It had now become the principle of the Jewish religion. Satan had implanted this principle. Whenever it is held, men have no barrier against sin. In other words, the foundation of every heathen religion is actually that man can save himself. That is a righteousness by works. And when you have this righteousness by works, um, there's no barrier against sin, including the barrier of, of sin or hurting other people, or abusing other people, or persecuting other people. In other words, um, a righteousness by works of us saving ourselves, of us changing ourselves um, in order to do what is right is actually the foundation for uh, spiritual abuse or religious persecution. What are some modern examples of spiritual abuse? Well, you have, let me start off in Hawaii, for example, there is a religious abuse or spiritual abuse that we see. There is the, as you've been seeing, there's been lava that's been flowing on our island. And I, we actually live about 20 miles away from that flow. And we hear a lot about the religion of Pele. She is the goddess of fire or goddess of the lava. And people are saying this a lot, even on the television news, that Pele is actually um, punishing uh, the people of the community of that district for the wrongdoing or to make things right. In fact, I met just a, a p couple of people here in the mainland who actually believe the same thing, that Pele 
the goddess of volcano, the lava, was punishing these people for the wrongdoing that they were doing. And so that's paganism, that's heathenism. It's a, based upon a religion that if you, if you don't do what is right, then, then the gods will punish you. But you do what is right, then the gods won't punish you. And so the same thing can happen in, even in Christianity. So Christianity I can also believe that if you don't do what is right, then God's going to punish you. And uh, you got to do what is right so God will stop punishing you. And so these natural disasters that is happening in this world, you're hearing of a lot of people saying, no, we need to get back to God in America. We need to get back to the Ten Commandments. And if we do that, then God will stop the natural disasters that's happening. But if we continue to break His commandments, His laws, and you know, then the natural disasters will continue to come. And so you look to the Dark Ages, that's what's happened. They believe that these people were heretics and they were breaking God's laws by being heretics. And so they had to punish them to appease the God in the Dark Ages. And when they punished them, they would actually kill these Christians in the name of God, thinking that they're doing God a service. And when they were doing that, they believed that they would actually atone for, um, to their God of all the wrongs and actually God would bless them and stop the natural disasters. And so... That's the foundation. That's what's going to happen in the last stage. There's going to be laws passed that um, people breaking the Ten Commandments, you know, especially the Fourth Commandment. And when that happens, I believe that we just wipe these people out and kill them all. Then we're going to appease God and make Him happy. And He's going to stop all these natural disasters that we're seeing happening all around the world. And school shootings as well. School shootings. Everything that's going wrong in this nation is all because we're not following God and is keeping His laws. Oh, it's interesting you brought up the Dark Ages and the Dark Ages being an example of religious persecution. Uh, historically speaking, the reason why the Protestant Reformation came about was to protest against spiritual persecution and spiritual abuse. Do we see that type of spiritual abuse even in Protestant churches today? Yes, you, you're seeing a strong push that people want to control other people and the churches are actually pushing for the government and the state. You've seen a, like a union of the churches want to join with the state and the government to actually pass laws to control people because that's how they feel that if they can control people externally and force them to do what they want to do then we can actually appease God in heaven this false God we've created in our own mind and they've created in their own minds and we can appease God and once we appease him by um, doing what is right because it is right then God will stop punishing us with these all these wickedness and school shootings and natural disasters that's happening around the world how is spiritual abuse seen in, say, a local congregation? So we're seeing a lot more spiritual abuse happening in our churches today. And it's not just limited out into paganism, like I shared with um, Madame Pele, the goddess Pele. But we've seen a lot in Christianity because we've taken a lot of this paganism, of pagan Rome, and it's passed on to paper Rome. But we see it here in American Rome with, a, with the churches of America as well. And, you know, unfortunately, it's... it's no church is immune. No denomination is immune. I've seen it in a, um, a lot of churches. This spiritual abuse today, disguised under um, the, the guise of Christianity and doing what is right because it is right. So what are some solutions to address spiritual abuse? Yes, yeah, so we, you know, I think, I think the root issue of spiritual abuse goes back in the days of Paul. And so Galatians chapter 4 talks about the spirit of abuse there as well. And verse 29 of Galatians chapter 4, it says, But as then he that was born after the flesh 
persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So Paul is referring before to Ishmael and Isaac, and he was referring that the, he was born after the flesh, referring to Hagar's son, Ishmael, right? About how they created him. In other words, they humanly made it happen by their own works, made it happen. Where actually Isaac was born a promise that God was going to do the miracle. He was going to do the works. And so this is the battle from, from all throughout the 6,000 years of this earth. Where whether you're going to trust in your own works to do what is right because you know even God said to do it. So you do it because God said to do it. Or you're going to surrender to God and allow Him to change you. To Him to um, write His laws in your heart, in your mind. And for Him to do the miracle like how Isaac was born of a miracle. So the battle is there. Now I want you to notice that the Bible text says here that those who are born after the flesh or those who believe in righteousness by works persecute him that was born after the Spirit. In other words, those who are born who believe in righteousness by works, they persecute those who believe in righteousness by faith and those who are free. And the Bible says, even so it is now. In other words, in these days or even in these last days, those who are in the church who actually believe in righteousness by works they may say they believe in righteousness by faith, but actually by their actions, they prove otherwise. Um, they persecute those who believe in righteousness by faith. And the reason why they do that is because they treat other people only as they see God treating them. So if they believe that God demands of them to do something, and if they don't change, then God's going to punish them. Then out of fear, they make changes in their life and they obey God. So in the same way, if they feel God is like that to them, then they feel that they can actually put fear in other people to manipulate them, to control them, to get them to do what they want them to do as well. And so you've seen that happen in the churches. People manipulate. You see it in the in board meetings where people uh, will use fear. They get angry. They yell. They get their way and everyone keeps quiet and let that person get their way because that person wants to control everyone else. Um, to get them to do what they want to do. You see it in business meetings. You see it in people in the church who feel like certain things should be done a certain way. And though the majority of the church wants to go another way, they make such a big noise and such a ruckus and get so angry that people will give in and surrender their convictions and beliefs to the one or two or three people who are getting so upset and angry. So they're manipulating people with their anger and fear to control them, to get them to do what they want them to do. And that's spiritual abuse that's happening. That happens not only in churches, it happens in institutions, in our schools as well. You see it where teachers and administrators are manipulating the, ch the students. Um, sometimes students and corporates manipulate the people at the doors. Bible workers manipulate people to get them to come to the meetings. Um, they're looking for numbers rather than they you know, truly love them. And um, so you just got to be careful that we're not manipulating people, but we're actually doing it because we truly love them and, and love God. What are practical ways that we can overcome spiritual abuse in our congregations, in our families, in our institutions? I think the only solution is to get a true picture of who God is and how he saves us and how he treats us. And I believe the only solution is righteousness by faith. We must understand how God saves us and how God changes us and how God treats us. And when you understand his true character of love, then that will transform us. And then we will actually um, treat other people the same way we see God treat us as well. So like the Bible says, we are to comfort others with the same comfort where we have received a God. And so we have to receive of God a certain type of gospel in order to actually truly change and give that same gospel to other people. 
for those that have been victims of spiritual abuse, what are practical ways that they could heal from it? You know, of all abuses, spiritual abuse is the worst type of abuse because with the other types of abuses, it is very obvious that it is an abuse. For example, you know, domestic violence, physical abuse is very obvious. Even the world sees this as wrong. You can get arrested and go to prison because of it. Uh, sexual abuse, the world sees it as wrong. You can easily go to prison for that. Um, for any type of other abuse, emotional, psychological, the world is recognizing that it is wrong now and even more so than ever before. But the most dangerous type of abuse is the spiritual abuse because many times the world does not recognize it. But not only does not the world recognize it, but even the church doesn't recognize it. And so many times people will submit to an abuser in the church who is many times broken themselves who have never been healed and they themselves are hurting because hurt people hurt people. And under the disguise of Christianity, they're actually manipulating, controlling, and abusing people. And because of that, people don't see it and they submit to it, first of all, and so they get hurt. But unlike, say, sexual abuse, when someone's been sexually abused, they know it's wrong, they may pull away, tell the parents or uh, authority figure or the police and get away from the situation. But the danger with spiritual abuse is that many times people will stay in it thinking that to themselves that I need to submit to this because this is what God wants from me because these leaders are ordained of God, this is God's church, therefore I'm going to submit to it when um, when normally they would have gotten out of that situation a long time ago. So because of it, it goes on for a long time, many times years in an institution, schools, churches, um, and even in the homes. And many times the abuser may even quote scripture, um, make them feel guilty uh, for not submitting. And under that long-term um, submission to the abuser, um, they end up with a deep-rooted bitterness and anger, not only against um, the people, but the church and even God. And so, unfortunately, it's a very long road back from healing, from spiritual abuse. But um, it's a process, and God can truly bring healing. But it needs to be a change of mind, a change of who God is, and understanding a true understanding of righteousness by faith. I remember many years ago, while I was... Uh doing some Bible work that the pastor that I was under said to me that God told me to tell you, Peter, that you need to go with me to an evangelistic series. <laughs> when someone says that God told them that you have to do something, how should we react? You know, I think we really need to believe that God can speak to me and not only to the higher caste system of the clergy. But God can speak to everyone, including the lay people. And we create many times a caste system. And, you know, in the papacy, it did that. There's a clergy and a laity, and we've done doing the same thing in a lot of the churches. But no, all ye are brethren. We are all equal. We are all one. And God can speak to me. In fact, if someone was to tell me that God told me that I'm supposed to do something, my response would be, well, you know, God, I'm sorry, but God did not tell me. And unless I know that God tells me, then I'm not going to do this thing. Because each person is accountable for their own actions. And we're not to just blindly submit to anyone, whatever they tell you, whatever authority, whatever they're the president or um, even the Pope. It doesn't matter what high authority in the world or even the church position they hold. We need to be accountable to God and to God alone and make sure we know that what we're doing is what God wants us to do and not what other people think we should be doing. Now for um, pastors and church leaders... The Bible tells us that they are watchmen, according to the Bible in the book of Ezekiel mm -hmm. and whatnot, and that 
false doctrines may enter into the church, and mm-hmm. we see a lot of false doctrines, the anti-Trinitarian movement, mm-hmm. um, different interpretations on prophecy, mm-hmm. and whatnot and so forth. And the question is, how can we stand up against Aaron false doctrine, but yet show the principles of love to these people? You know, in the last days, like you said, every wind of doctrine will be blowing, and man, I've just seen so much, so much doctrine just come in in every which way into the churches and into my churches that I had, and so you have to meet it. You have to hit the iceberg head on. You have to address it. You have to talk to them. You have to confront them. You have to present the truth because I believe the truth is presented in a clear way. The false doctrines will become dull and disappear and the truth will shine brighter because of it. Uh, but the danger is, I think, and that's what's happening, and if I've heard what's happening in other churches, people have told me that without even a healthy conversation or talking through the doctrines and studying together and confronting it, many of the leaders in churches, because they don't know the Bible, because they don't know the spirit prophecy, because they don't know the, the doctrines, they actually, without even talking about it or studying out together, they just shut them down, kick them out of the church. And, and unfortunately, some people like feel they've been mistreated and they follow these people because they feel they've been mistreated and they weren't treated with love. And I think it's a fear. It's a fear that's driving us to um, kick them out, to get rid of them, to treat them meanly, shut them down. And when they ask questions, well, what did I do wrong? And say, get out of here. I don't care. I'm not, I don't get, need to give you an answer. I mean, th- that kind of unchristlike spirit actually only gains them more followers, but it needs to be done in a spirit of love. And um, we need to uh, treat them with respect as well. And I've had a lot of interaction with different, with a lot of Shepherd's Rod, with a lot of different um, new light ministries and truth that's been coming out. But they've always said, you know, Pastor, you always treated us with, with respect. And I think that's how we need to treat these people. I think when we don't understand our Bibles, and uh, we just use our anger to kick them out and get rid of them because we don't have an answer to everyone, for everyone who asks a question of us for a reason for what we believe. Will there be in this situation and dialogue uh, a point where people must be asked to leave the congregation? I believe so. I believe with those type of people and any type of people, um, I believe even Lucifer, I think you have to create a safe place in the church. And so even heaven came to the point where Lucifer and his his angels were there and it had gone on for a while and God tried to reconcile them. But when it came to a point where heaven itself was, what came to a point where heaven was going to be jeopardized of not being a safe place anymore, God had to actually ask them to leave to keep that place a safe place. And so the same thing in our churches. We have to make sure that our churches are safe places. But not only these people who come from the outside, from these new light ministries and shepherd's rod, etc. But I'm talking especially about maybe spiritual abusers in a church who are elders and leaders and church board members in a church who are very abusive that I believe we need to confront them and we need to come to a time where we need, to, we need to ask them to leave if they continue to be abusive, even if their family built that church. But that's a very something that needs to be addressed because I believe it's killing the churches and the churches are becoming very unsafe these last days because of these people, these spiritual abusers in the church. Describe to me what a safe place is. 
A safe place is, I believe, described in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and loved us. So, in, in other words, a safe place is described as that God knows everything about us and our sinful ways, and yet He still loves us and accepts us where we're at. And he takes us where we're at, and he, through His love, it, He loves us, and it changes us, and we transform us, and we're sanctified, and we're changed and from glory to glory, and God changes us, and sanctification is a work of a lifetime. It continues to transform us because of His love. Um, unsafe places such where, you know, this is my standard. You need to come up to where I'm at before I accept you. Uh, you need to dress this way, look this way, eat this way specifically before I accept you. But God says, no, I accept you where you're at, and I love you where you're at, and that love will change you to want to change become more, to where I'm at. And so I think a safe place is such that whoever comes, we accept you wherever you may be at, we love you wherever you may be at. Um, but that love is so powerful that... Um, you will begin to want to change and be like Christ. That's a safe place. There are some that feel that in order to accept quote-unquote sinners that they disagree with, that they're tolerating or compromising sin, or they're letting quote-unquote Aiken in the camp. Um, there are some that particularly feel that way with people that subscribe to LGBT positions that um, they should never be in our congregations and whatnot. How do you address that? What are your views on, on that? I think we ought to follow Christ, the Bible says, as our example. And look how Christ did it. Christ followed Christ's method alone. What, what was Christ's method? And I, you look at him and like, he hung out with the sinners, the LGBTQI, with so much. Um, that they actually accuse him of being a partier and a wine bibber, a drunkard, an alcoholic. So, and though he never sinned, that's the powerful thing, but he hung out so much with them. I mean, how many of us could actually be accused of being an alcoholic because we hung out with sinners so much or, or actually a drug addict or, you know, a huge, great party or, or just a great sinner? Um, many times we like to hide because we fear being contaminated by sin, so we kind of run away from all that sin. But it's like the Pharisees, you know, they kept themselves from away from all the publicans and sinners because outwardly they want to keep themselves pure, but the inside they're full of dead men's bones, they're evil and corrupt. Where Christ was pure and, and clean on the inside, but the outside he was surrounded by corruption. It was the total opposite of the Pharisees, and yet he was there. But that's powerful that he was hanging around sinners, which is pretty powerful. But that's not the greatest thing that impresses me about Jesus. The greatest thing that impresses me about Jesus is this that not only did Jesus want to hang out with sinners, but that sinners wanted to hang out with Jesus. That is powerful. Because how many sinners, this is my question, how many sinners want to hang out with you? That's a good question. I mean, you may want to hang out with sinners all you want, but would they ever want to hang out with you? That's the question. So not only did Jesus hang out with sinners, but um, they wanted to hang out with him. They wanted to be with him. And so we need to set people where they're at and they feel so loved and accepted that they want to hang out with us and be like us and the, be like the Jesus that's reflected through us. Now you have a uh, testimony of a same-sex couple that attended your Healing Rain camp. Can you share something about that? Yes, we had a couple 
uh, same-sex attraction and the two females and we decided because we know a little bit of the background where they actually knew were told several times what they were, what they were doing were wrong and so they actually came to our program which were pretty surprised and when they're at our program we decided beforehand that we're not going to mention to them and tell them that um, what they're doing is wrong, that it was a sin, because we knew they were already told. And so what we wanted to do is, because we deal with the root causes, we deal from cause to effect, like we're told in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. So we're dealing with the root causes. So we help them experience the healing from the past brokenness, their emotional pain. And when you heal from that, then the symptoms, because the symptom is not the root cause, it's not the main problem. It is a problem, it is a sin, the root cause is something else they need to heal from. And they're using these addictions and behavioral narcotics to numb their pain. And so when you deal with the root cause and heal from that, then the the symptom will go away. So it's the same sex attraction. So we did that and then when the program was done, um, this couple approached one of our staff members and told them that they no longer were gonna sleep with each other anymore. Uh, praise God for that. And then two months later, they came and told the same person again and said that we decided to break up. And so, you know, we need to deal with the root causes and not just deal with the symptoms. Because the symptoms, if you deal with the symptoms and say, okay, don't do this because it's right and stop it. And say they stop doing that and you don't deal with the root cause, then that addiction will come right back again. Or the behavior, not drug, narcotic will come right back again. Or it's going to come back to another behavior, narcotic, behavior, drug. It may be to sports, it may be to music, it may be to movies, it may be to drinking, drugs, you know, smoking, whatever, coffee. could be even doing like shopping and things we consider that is good, eating too much, overeating with vegan food. Or it could be even with religiosity or too much religion or even like overworking even in your job or even too much, um, being too much involved in the church to numb your pain. So... They're very deceptive. We need to make sure that we deal with the root causes and God can do miracles that way. Why do you think so many ministries and so many churches deal with externals rather than the root causes? Our educational system teaches us to deal with externals, to deal with symptoms. Very few people know how to reason from cause to effect. Maybe less than 3%, I believe, of Americans today, I believe, because of a false education know how to reason cause of to effect they're not we're not educated that way we're just trained to be to be a reflective of other people's thoughts we're not taught to be critical thinkers to to be thinkers on our own so i think that's what's a root cause of why many people can't reason from cause effect they can't figure it out even the worldly system of modern medicine today it focuses only on the symptoms treating the symptoms if you're sick you treat the symptoms and besides acute care of ER and also antibiologic agents like um, antibiotics, those are good. But even then, you can be, you can over abuse it, and you know you can actually build an immune system against the antibiologic agents. But everything treats the symptoms. So you have high blood pressure sometimes; they give you a blood thinner, thin out the blood. That high blood pressure is only telling you that something else is wrong in your body. You need to make a lifestyle change. That's the root cause. But we just want to take a quick fix kind of a fast food pill so to say and you take it and it goes away without changing your diet or lifestyle and i think in the spiritual realm we do the same thing you know we look at a symptom stop the symptom make you look pretty on the outside look good dress good eat good 
on the outside. Don't worry about the inside, the root cause, what happened. Don't heal from your past brokenness or wounds or uh, your inability to trust people, your hurt, your fears, your pain. And then um, you look good. Uh, that's all that matters. Do you think Christians today uh, over-rely upon government and institutions to solve problems? Yes, definitely. Definitely, I believe that um, we're looking for institutions to solve our problems rather than for us to solve our own problems. We, we're actually dependent upon um, people to help us rather than being self-reliant in a sense of well, how we can help ourselves. And um, I think we need to really depend upon uh, and learn how to help ourselves. It is said that the lamb-like beast that speaks as a dragon, that spirit of the dragon is intolerance. Mm. What is Christian tolerance? Because we hear that word all the time. What is Bible-based tolerance? I believe that religious liberty is not only myself having the right to believe the convictions that I believe, but religious liberty is also granting the other person the right to believe as they believe. Because many people who actually are persecuting other people believe that I have the right to believe what I believe. But while they believe that is true for themselves, they don't believe that other people have the right to believe what they believe. And so they tend to want to control other people and um, pressure them and manipulate them to get them to believe what they want them to believe, to change their beliefs. And that's where the challenge comes. And that's the freedom that God grants to all of us. God doesn't force us to believe what He believes. And that's why He gives us a choice. That's why many people would choose not to believe God, would choose to be lost, because He grants them that freedom. And that's where we're not granting to others the same freedom that God grants to us. And I think a lot of it is that many of us think that God doesn't grant us freedom, that we're pressured and manipulated and guilt-tripped and feared, made to fe be feared by God to do what He wants us to do. But that's not how God works. God only works through love. He only wants you to serve Him because He loves, because we love Him, because we see how much He loves us and we respond with that love. And a lot of people misunderstand that God's that's not how God is. So because of that misunderstanding, they actually mistreat other people. What is the solution for the healing of the nations? I believe the nation is made out of people. So we have to focus on the individuals. Each person needs to know for themselves uh, what religious liberty is really about. It's a person of freedom that God has given us. They need to know what, uh, how we are saved. Righteousness by faith. We need to know how God treats us, how God loves us, how God saves us, how God changes us. And when we know that, and when we experience healing, we need to experience healing as individuals. And once we experience healing as individuals, then and only then we're actually the nation be, will be healed. So it starts one person at a time. So, Pastor, I'm wondering, as we bring this to a close, what is the special work that we as God's people need to do during this time where everyone's so broken? I think we need to go out and help those who are hurting, help those who are broken, to give them a hope, to help them experience healing, to ex help them to experience freedom, freedom from abuse, whether it's freedom from physical abuse, sexual abuse, the results of it, freedom from uh, spiritual abusers, help those who are brokenhearted to be healed, to help those who are, uh, fell in hopelessness of addictions, 
to break out free from those. Um, that's what I believe God's calling for us is today. Pastor, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate your thoughts. Can you close us with a closing prayer? Sure. Thank you, Peter, for having me again. Oh, it's a privilege. Thank you. Uh, Father, thank you for just the freedom that you grant to us. And Lord, may we appreciate this and may we grant to others the same freedom you give to us and may we be patient with them as you're patient with us. May we be loving with them as you're loving with us. And may we grant them the freedom to them as you grant us freedom as well. And so Lord, I pray that you may do a revival, work a revival in our churches by starting a revival in my heart and everyone else's heart. Work with us one by one, Lord, and we thank you for our hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.